Hello there and welcome to this Human Life Podcast, the companion podcast to the book, This Human. I'm Melissa Nova and I am making my way through the book, um, reading page by page, telling some stories, diving deep into the content and hopefully bringing it alive. We are at chapter five. And we're about to explore more deeply the role of intention in human-centered design. The previous episode was establishing understanding around how intention creates a clear sense of uh, direction, even through the more messy phases of doing human-centered design or leading through complexity when You've got more information than you know what to do with. And this episode, we're going to launch straight into the first exercise in this chapter, which is exercise 5.1 on page 134, which is transformation of data into insight. And, you know, one of the one of the benefits of hindsight, I think, is when you've been, you know, doing this work for a while and also, you know, Huddle's been around for uh well, since 2009, I don't know when you're listening to this. And so we've got quite a, a library of work now and we have an opportunity to go back and have a look at the how the work has matured and progressed over time. And there are some uh, pieces of work that have this really elegant simplicity to them where we know that we've taken the time to be able to really resolve the thinking and get to the core of the issue and to be able to use that as a way of assisting our client partners on a way forward. And then there are some other examples where the work could have benefited from just a little bit more time or a little bit more synthesis. Perhaps we stayed stayed too much in the divergent space and didn't converge early enough. So this is the art of the work that we do. There's no um, hard and fast rule, you know, two days of analysis, two days of synthesis, one day of analysis, three weeks of synthesis. There's no formula like that. It's obviously dependent on the work and and the the nature of the findings and, and all of that. But it's a common challenge and it's a common question that I get from human-centered designers around how do you know that you've moved from the realm of a finding into the realm of insight? So I created a really simple diagram, which you'll find on page 134, and it just takes you through the way that I think about the process of going from a going from you know a point of data which could be anything scribbled on a post-it to an important insight so uh, much easier if you have the diagram in front of you of course but I will do my best to talk you through it okay so first we start off with a tip which is the integration of data into insight takes energy Having a clear intention helps provide direction to the process. So this is a good segue from the previous episode where we were talking about intention as a source of energy. All right, so the first phase of the transformation of data to insight would be the random capture phase. So this is where the data is disparate and unrelated. So you might have a wall of, you know, post-its that have, you know, hardly any connections between them. 
And then you, the first step that we typically do is we understand the similarity between those concepts. And to be able to understand the similarity between the concepts, we typically ask questions around, you know, what are they saying, what are the similarities and what they're saying, when, who, and what, you, what you're looking for is affinity. And there's a whole toolkit around that affinity mapping. So once you've done that first pass of analysis where you're just looking for themes and um, similarities, you're going to start working with, instead of disparate pieces of data, you're going to start working with grouped um, data sets. So this is, you know, richer information gained by understanding the shared contexts. And to be able to move from sort of these themes into what we might start listing as findings... You might start asking about the meaning of those groups, understand the relationships between the concepts, and we might ask how questions. So, you know, how is this group related to this group? Um, Is there a connection between this theme and that theme? And you start trying to understand the, the, the interconnectedness of things. You're trying to start thinking about things holistically. And then you basically have a set of findings. So these findings help you gain knowledge by understanding the interrelatedness and the relationship between these observations. So this knowledge that's gained by understanding the interrelatedness and the relationship between observations gives you a nice list of findings. Now to move to insight, what we actually want to understand is the relative importance and priorities of the findings. And this is what leads to insight. So we might have some very interesting things to say about how, you know, the observed behaviors of one cohort triggers a particular perception of a service because of, you know, the way that they've organized themselves around the service delivery or whatever. There might be some interesting findings, but We need to start asking why questions to be able to understand the relative importance of those of those concepts. And also what we're trying to really get at is the motivation that sits behind the behaviors that we can observe. So the way that I typically think about it is when we're asking questions around what, when, who, you know, we're getting a sense of context. Um, We're understanding the similarity between the concepts which give us context. And then when we're understanding the relationships, we're really searching for the meaningful relationships between those concepts. And, you know, we get at that by asking how questions or how is this related to that? And then to understand the relative importance of the questions, we start asking why questions, which is really trying to understand the motivation behind the behaviors. So it's basically context plus meaning plus motivation. And those sorts of, if you can think about it that way, it gives you a really simple framework to follow to be able to go from disparate pieces of information into something of deeper insight. So we've spoken a lot about intention and the importance of intention and how energy giving it can be, but how do we actually set a clear intention um, for our work? So um, happy to report that there's another framework, another exercise on page 135 called, well, exercise 5.2, which is called setting a clear intention for your work. Yeah, so this is an anatomy of a good intention, but it won't fit every context. You will have to adjust it as necessary. However, it does give you a good place to start. 
So again, it's another visual and I'll do my best to to talk you through it. If we were to uh, split up a good sort of intention statement, basically it would have these four things included in it. It would have your action, the person or the organization that that action is uh, directed towards. So your action for who, uh, then your ability. So what they will be able to do as a result of your work and the desired outcome. So what that new ability can actually do in the world. So the impact associated with this work. So your action, what will you be doing for the people you are helping or designing for, for who, who are you actually designing for, not always the customer and the end user, their new ability, what will they be able to do as a result of your work and the desired outcome, what will happen as a result of your work. So those four things need to be present in a complete intention statement. So of course there's some examples. So the first example, your action might be create a way for who might be the government their new ability might be deliberately and meaningfully design and the desired outcome might be a better way to protect people dealing with displacement so the intention statement becomes create a way the government can deliberately and meaningfully design a better way to protect people dealing with displacement And another example, partner with large organizations to help disrupt their value systems that drive decision-making to alter what it means to be in business from profit-making to value creation. So another tip, as your work progresses, you might find you learn something that changes your intention, and this is okay, as, as long as there is a good reason for it and it's still meeting the needs of those you are helping in the first place. Now, before when I was talking about the for who, who are you actually designing for, not always the customer end user, this is a really important point, and I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes around human-centered design and the really critical aspect of human-centered design is remembering that we're designing for all people, not just the people that we're ultimately in service of, but we're also designing for all the people that we're collaborating with. So, you know, your role in the project might be to come up with an artifact, for example, a journey map or a, a synthesis report or something. And the people that you're creating that for become those who you are designing for at the time. So they're humans and we need to be considering their needs and their context and to be designing what you're creating with that in mind so human-centered design applies to absolutely every single thing that we do all right now we're going to move on to creating clarity page 136 creating clarity while my husband and I were on a road trip we created a framework we called it a thinking framework and it helped us get clarity about all the different aspects of our business This framework is now seven years old. Well, it's older now, 10 years old, and it keeps growing in its complexity and relevance. There are many layers and applications to this very simple model, always starting with your purpose to work out why you are doing what you're doing 
This is a question you can ask at many different levels, from your personal purpose to the purpose of the work you are doing. The quality preserved at each level of abstraction of a purpose statement is its enduring nature. How enduring is this purpose? You're probably more familiar with thinking about objectives rather than outcomes. The outcome is aligned to your purpose, and in human-centered work, it often describes something that enables people. For example, an objective might be to build affordable, portable housing, but the outcome is that people are safer and healthier because they have shelter. So it's basically the what and the why, right? So the objective describes the tangible thing and the why typically describes the impact. And the outcome is a combination of of both of those things. Okay, intention brings clarity. Another simple strength of the framework is that it keeps things connected. A sense of purpose brings clarity to the outcome, while a sense of approach brings clarity to the plan. They both enable you to articulate the intention behind your actions. The thinking framework creates clarity between our purpose, outcome, approach and plan. It allows us to have a connected narrative about what we are doing and why. Okay, so instead of going through this framework, because this is a thinking framework that I have mentioned in previous episodes, I am going to put a link to the more detailed framework in the show notes that you can download from Huddle's website. And that will provide you with a much better understanding of what it is and how it's used than me talking through it on this, because it's just, it's not going to be a value to you. I'll just describe the definitions and then move on. The intention to create a way for the government to deliberately and meaningfully design better ways of protecting people who are dealing with displacement. So obviously these are examples. (laughs) The purpose to improve the quality of life of people escaping danger in their troubled home nations. The outcome Displaced people are rapidly and successfully integrated into the community in a dignified and respectful way. There was a really great book that I read by an author called Gary Keller, and it's called The One Thing, and it's all about focus and and clarity. I'll put the link in the show notes, but there's a quote of his that I've included in my book, which is, purpose without priority is powerless. Clarity and focus. At this stage of the design process, you are deliberately creating a world you know is possible. To do this, you need an incredible amount of clarity and focus. Your clarity comes from why you are doing what you are doing, and your focus comes from what you need to do by when. This is shown in the simple thinking framework below, so there's another diagram which I'll talk to. As your work progresses and you invite more people to interact with it, you need to process more perspectives. This can be quite distracting. Your clarity and focus will help you determine what is a distraction and what is essential. Clarity comes from knowing why we are doing something and how. Focus comes from knowing what we are going to achieve and by when. So the uh, thinking framework is basically two axes. The vertical axis has why at the top and how at the bottom. And the horizontal axis has what at the left and when at the right. And so that basically creates a, you know, a two by two. And 
having an understanding of your purpose and approach, so why you're doing something and how you're going to go about doing it, provides clarity. And having a understanding of the outcomes that you're working towards and the tasks that you need to do to achieve those outcomes gives you the focus. So being able to think clearly about especially in a leadership position, if your team is working on a project and they're struggling with either one of these things, you can go back to this framework and and understand what it is that you need to provide for your team to be able to address, you know, the challenge the team's facing into. Sometimes it's about connecting them back with the outcomes what they're ultimately working towards and the the plan that's in place to give them a sense of focus and sometimes it's more about reminding them why you chose the approach that you chose as a group and why you're working on the project in the first place which gives them clarity so that is all there for you on page 140 and i'm going to leave it there we're going to start the next episode talking about dealing with distractions because when (laughs) as you would know when your project starts coming into reality there's a whole bunch of fires that can pop up around the place and we need to know which ones to focus on and which ones to perhaps not give so much energy to so dealing with distractions that's what awaits you in the next episode as usual i thank you for listening If you want to check out some new stuff, some free stuff, some learning related to the book, head over to thishuman.com. And if you want to get more information about working with me, if you want some coaching, head over to melissanova.com. There's a free masterclass there, which is about an hour long. So you get a sense of what the deep leadership program will be all about. And, And that's it. I will be with you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. See ya.